timber and his broke with the axe to cut down the tree and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies. He shall flee to one of these cities and live, lest the avenger of blood, while his anger is hot, pursue the manslayer and overtake him because the way is long and kill him, though he is not deserving of death since he had not hated the victim in time past. Therefore, I command you, saying, you shall separate three cities for yourself. This is going to be part one of a two-part series because we're going to continue next week if the Lord hasn't come in the meantime. And uh, what I want to point out to you is all of us are familiar with the term kinsman redeemer. We all know about that. In the book of Ruth, Boaz is the blood relative of dead Elimelech and the kinsman redeemer who goes to great trouble to redeem the land while at the same time redeeming Ruth, a Moabite woman who was the widow of Elimelech's son, Mahon, who also had died. Elimelech's widow, Naomi, had sold his land, what the family owned, the family property. So Boaz bought back the land, redeeming the land, while at the same time redeeming childless Ruth and marrying her in a Leverite marriage to raise up sons to inherit the land of the dead father and Mahon and the dead grandfather Elimelech. That son issued from that was Obed, who inherited the land and who became the father of Jesse, who in turn became the father of King David. So you can see how even through a despised Moabite woman who was redeemed by Boaz, all God's work came to pass. So this is the point where I'm going with this. Boaz became the willing redeemer, the willing kinsman and redeemer. God in human flesh became our willing kinsman redeemer. The Lord Jesus Christ loved us and is our kinsman redeemer. He bought us back with his own blood, became our kinsman redeemer for all those who believe on him and receive him as savior. So far, I've merely reviewed facts that you all know. This is nothing new. Now we're going to jump into new stuff. (laughs) Perhaps, maybe you already know this. I confess I did not know what we're going from here. As I was reading, I found that uh, in the Hebrew word translated the avenger of blood that we just read about up in Deuteronomy really is the protector of family rights. That's the, that's the uh, translation that would be um, um, word for word. The 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 protector of family rights, literal, literal translation, avenger of blood, the family, protector of family rights, who was a relative commissioned by the elders of a city to execute justice, and justice meant punishment fitting the crime, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, a life for a life, the punishment always fit the crime. So justice was executed by the avenger of blood to kill the manslayer. The word translated kinsman redeemer and here translated avenger means 
protector of family rights. It's the same word, the same word in Hebrew. I never realized that, that the avenger that you read about in Deuteronomy is kinsman redeemer. It's it's both. It's translated both. It's the same word. Now, if you already knew that, you're miles ahead of where I was, because when I read across that, I thought, now that is really interesting. <clears throat> Christ is our protector of family rights by offering his own blood to redeem and make us brothers of Christ and children of God. He's not ashamed to call us brethren. He became a curse for us to redeem us to God. As it says in Galatians 3, everyone, because cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, Galatians 3, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Christ became a curse for us, our kinsman redeemer. Now, when God appears to man, since no one can see God and live, how did men live after they saw God? By the way, I'm going to tie these ideas together. They sound like fractured fragments, but all this is going to come together by next week, anyway, <laughs> if you live that long, it's going to come together next week is the hope. So here's the question. No one can see God and live. How did all these other people who saw God live in the past, in the Old Testament, through all those theophanies, all those Christophanies? <clears throat> I believe the answer is in John chapter 118. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who's in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. He has made Him visible. He has declared Him. That's how. So a theophany or a Christophany is God appearing in human form before the birth of Christ. This happened several times in the Old Testament. First, with God walking in the garden with Adam and Eve, you remember. God appearing to Abraham in human form in Genesis 18. God wrestling with Jacob. Angel of the Lord appearing to Manoah's wife to tell her she would give birth to Samson. Joshua saw the commander of the army of the Lord. That was a Christophany. The fourth man in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That was a Christophany. Even an unbeliever, Nebuchadnezzar, said correctly, the fourth man is like the Son of God. Now, a good friend of mine who is not a believer said to me, if God appeared to me and spoke with me, I would become the most devout Christian on the face of the earth. If the mighty God, the creator, the great judge of all the earth, the avenger, the kinsman redeemer, the protector of human of family rights, the Lord of hosts, the Christ of Calvary appeared to me and spoke with me, I would believe and faithfully serve him as the most obedient Christian all the rest of my life. But is that true? Would that really be the result? History in the Bible says over and over that that's not true. Because although we think this would be such an awesome and life-changing experience, seeing and hearing God doesn't guarantee faith, faith or obedience or even awesome respect. 
I want you to look with me in Genesis chapter 4. Genesis 4. We're going to read at verse 6. We're going to read 6 through 13. Genesis 4, 6 through 13. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. This is the Lord God, the creator, speaking with a man, Cain. And Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, see a second appearing of the Lord to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Rather insolent in his response to the creator of the universe, isn't it? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, God said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. You shall be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is too great to bear. (laughs) Well, that's a little self-pity, isn't it? After you just murdered your brother, my punishment is too great to bear. After giving sass back top to God of the universe by saying, I don't know where he is. When we read further in scripture, people who are rebellious to God, bad things happen to them. And with Cain, the Lord in gracious mercy allowed him to live despite all this back talk and all this sassing back. I don't know where he is. Am I my brother's keeper? Is he my responsibility? That's Cain's conversation with the Lord God. It didn't change his life, did it? When God said, warned him, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. He had ample warning from God. He had a direct conversation with a Christophany who was telling him, if you don't do well, this is what's going to happen. Now, instead of taking that to heart, and thinking, I've got to change my behavior in my mind. Instead of that, a verse or two later, he tells Abel, his brother, apparently about this conversation, and then kills him. It did not affect his behavior. He did not receive faith as a result of seeing God. It didn't change his life. My friend promised me, this is going to dramatically change my life. If God appears to me, oh, believe me, this is, this is going to be awesome. I will change. I'll be the best Christian you ever saw. He said those kind of words to me. And I thought at the time, is that true? Is that really true? It's not true. And as we study further and see some other examples in scripture, 
you're going to see that God appearing to you doesn't mean anything to a man's desire for rebellion. Doesn't mean anything. It's too easy to rebel. Despite God appearing to you in the flesh. All of us in this room would think, oh, my goodness, that would really be a shaky, earth-shaking thing. Not according to Scripture. It doesn't shake these guys in their boots, although it should. So this being a cliffhanger, that's where we're leaving you off until next week. Come back next week for the conclusion.